Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Once upon a time, there were three very different little girls who grew up to be three very different women with three things in common. They're brilliant, they're beautiful, and they don't work for Verbal Diorama. But I do, so you're stuck with me instead. Sorry. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, this is Em, and um, that was my new theme song. Isn't it awesome? Um, I'm so excited. It's been something I've been thinking about for a while. And um, the opportunity to get something done came to me. So I figured, what the hell? It's the brainchild of an incredibly talented singer-songwriter called Chloe Entercott. She wrote the music and the lyrics. Um, I helped a little bit with the really, really cheesy bits. And she also sang the vocals. Um, and how phenomenal does she sound? Um, the production is by Ellis Powell Bevan of Unique Studios. I'm going to put some links to their Facebook pages. So if anyone wants to contact them, they can in the show notes. But obviously, I'd highly recommend them. Um, so I've got an intro track and an outro track. And they're so amazing and perfect. And Talking about a movie with kick-ass women, it seems like completely apt that a kick-ass woman has created my new theme song. So um, obviously a massive thanks to Chloe and also to Ellis for helping with the production. So obviously we're not going to be doing The Mummy um, this episode. It was going to be this episode, but unfortunately there was a bit of family sickness on my guest Jason's side uh, when we came to record for the second time. The first time I didn't have time and so we rescheduled and then unfortunately his wife and son were taken ill um, and thankfully they are completely fine now and everyone's good but um, so we couldn't record when we were going to so I just basically flipped the schedule around a little and decided I'd switch 12 and 13. Um, 13 was originally going to be Willow and then I thought oh well I'll do a bit of a poll on Twitter because people do tend to like to get involved on Twitter polls and my choices were Willow, Charlie's Angels or John Carter. Obviously, John Carter's been in the Pol Pot once before and lost. 
So I thought I'd stick John Carter in, I'd stick Charlie's Angels in because it's fun, and obviously Willow. And the the poll itself was, I think, a day. Um, and quite often they were running neck and neck, sort of 33% each, sort of pretty much the whole time. So it was so incredibly close. Um, and ultimately, Charlie's Angels just kind of scraped by, uh, by literally, I think, one or two votes. So that's why this is Charlie's Angels. Um, I know a lot of people were a little bit upset that Charlie's Angels won. And so something I actually announced this week um, on social media was my August schedule. And I don't normally announce a whole month in advance, but I wanted to do something special for August. Um, August is actually my birthday month, so I wanted to do something special. So I've dubbed it Augstravaganza, um, and it's happening. And every weekend in August, I'll be releasing a new episode, um, which people who listen to Verbal Diorama, I can say my own name, ugh, Verbal Diorama regularly, will know that I release fortnightly. So, uh, so yeah, this is going to be a bit of a massive task for me and I'm going to try really hard. So we're starting on the 4th of August with The Mummy. Um, so Jason from Wulong Talks is going to come on and we're going to talk about The Mummy, uh, which I'm incredibly excited about because as everyone knows, I completely love The Mummy. Um, the following weekend is going to be The Matrix. And that was actually suggested by Show Me The Podcast. And Show Me The Podcast recently released their last ever episode and to be honest I was going to do it anyway because it was suggested by them but this is going to actually kind of be just a little tribute to them to Harry and Lorraine and their podcast um, because they've always been very supportive of this show and it's really sad that they're not going to be doing their show anymore um, but I hope that I can do the Matrix justice for them um, and the week after the Matrix John Carter is coming to Verbal Diorama He's obviously been mooted a few times, um, but he's finally going to be here. He's going to be making an appearance. And I know that's going to make a few people very happy because a lot of people ask me, when are you going to do John Carter? So I'm going to do John Carter. And the weekend after John Carter, I will be doing Willow, uh, which also makes a lot of people happy, um, including myself, because I wanted to do it originally. Um, and then there's a final Saturday in August, and I'm going to be releasing an episode that Saturday and I'm going to be keeping it a surprise. What I can tell you is it's one of the greatest animated movies ever made. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is I'm actually going to be coinciding it with my first ever giveaway on Twitter. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, now would probably be a good time to do so if you want to be in with a chance to win a really really cool prize uh that's linked to the movie that i'm going to be doing obviously i do mention social media at the end but if you want to know now uh my twitter is just at verbal diorama and um that will the information on that will be coming out sort of towards the end of the month and what else have i been up to well shortly i'm recording with growing up millennial podcast i think i mentioned that last episode and last weekend um, I had such an amazing chat with Kat from Shuffle the Podcast. We talked about the John Wick trilogy. It ended up being quite long because it always does when I'm involved. And this is quickly becoming uh, a bit of a thing with Keanu Reeves. And so I was totally happy to oblige her. Um, I think that episode is coming out shortly. I'm not sure exactly when, but obviously make sure you go and subscribe to Shuffle the Podcast and it will be out soon. 
And the interview I did last month with the guys over at the Flix podcast should be out now. I'm also currently looking into avenues to get some written work published. Um, I've got a couple of ideas that I'm currently mooting. More kind of articles than reviews because I'm not really the best reviewer, <laughs> being completely honest. But I'm interested in the the making of movies. I'm not really interested in giving my opinion per se. Um, but I I like to I'd like the idea of writing articles. So I've been in touch with a few online and offline publications. Um, so you never know, I might end up getting some of my stuff published, uh, which is obviously incredibly exciting and something that I've actually wanted to do for a long time, but I've kind of never really had the confidence to do that. And this podcast has kind of given me a little bit of extra confidence that maybe what I think and what I say and what I write is decent <laughs> um but um but yeah we shall see what happens on that um because we're not here to talk about writing we're here to talk about ass kicking and terrible moonwalks so let's move on to charlie's angels another movie from an old tv show uh, what are you gonna do walk out they go where no one else dares they do what no one else can. So when there's only one chance to get it right, they're the ones to call. Who are you people? Damn, I hate to fly. But they only answer to me. My name is Charlie. Meet the most elite crime-fighting force ever assembled. We've got techniques you never dreamed of. You know, I signed that release waiver, so you can just feel free to stick things in my slot. Good morning, angels. Good morning, Charlie. Meet Roger Corwin. He's planning to steal a new software that can trace a voice signal anywhere in the world. If this got into the wrong hands, we'll be the end of privacy. That's where you come in, angels. Charlie, would that mean undercover? I'll leave that up to you, Bosley. Columbia Pictures presents Thousand Dollars, the girl catches him. A new breed of knockout. Hi, Pete, how are you? I'm good, I just... Could you hold on a second? It's just been kind of crazy this week at work. Cameron Diaz. I'm like a virgin, you know? I mean, it's my first time. Here. Drew Barrymore. I figured we could have a little breakfast. I have to go. Well, we'll go. Ah! A little help. Oh, yeah. Lucy Lou. At your service. And Bill Murray. I love fire. Get some action. Charlie's Angels. Little summary of the plot. Natalie Cook, Dylan Sanders and Alex Munday are the angels. Three talented, tough, attractive women who work together as private investigators for unseen millionaire Charles Townsend. 
When software genius Eric Knox is kidnapped, the angels and their faithful associate Bosley are hired to solve the case. The prime suspect, Roger Corwin, runs Red Star, a rival company to Knox's. At a party held at Corwin's house, the angels come across a mysterious thin man and chase him down to find Eric Knox safe but restrained nearby. In order to prove Corwin's guilt, the angels adopt disguises, infiltrate Red Star and plant a device on their central server which will provide evidence that Corwin was behind Knox's abduction. Dylan deduces that Knox will continue to be in danger until Corwin can be apprehended and so she spends the night at his place. Knox, however, betrays her. It appears he wanted to access Red Star's satellite network. He plans to use it, along with his voice recognition software, to find the man who killed his father, Charles Townsend. Dylan escapes to find Natalie and Alex, were also simultaneously attacked, and regroup at the office as the building explodes. Bosley has been abducted by Knox's associate Vivian Wood and is being held at a remote location. The angels manage to find Bosley's location, rescue him and fight the guards to get to Knox. Knox discovers Charlie's whereabouts and sets out in a helicopter to find him. The angels manage to stow away on the helicopter and reprogram the missiles from location to heat seeking. The missile, when fired, turns on Knox and the helicopter blows up as the angels jump to their safety on the beach of Charlie's signal. Seeing an opportunity to meet their employer, the angels enter the beach hut only to find it empty. As they regroup with Bosley later, Charlie calls them and informs them he didn't kill Knox's father. Dylan asks if they'll ever meet him and he coolly denies it, walking away from them in the background. Right, so let's talk about Charlie's Angels. So we've got a pretty stellar cast in this movie. We have Cameron Diaz as Natalie Cook, Drew Barrymore as Dylan Sanders, Lucy Liu as Alex Munday, Bill Murray as Bosley, Sam Rockwell as Eric Knox, Kelly Lynch as Vivian Wood, Tim Curry as Roger Corwin, and Crispin Glover as The Thin Man. The movie was released on the 22nd of October 2000 in the US and the 24th of November 2000 in the UK. The budget for the movie was $93 million and it ended up grossing $264 million worldwide. So first things first, this movie was a massive hit. It was directed by McGee, who at the point was known for his music video direction. He actually went on, so this was his directorial debut, he went on to direct the sequel, um, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, he went on to do Terminator Salvation, which wasn't brilliant, he also directed The Duff, which I think is actually a really funny teen comedy, Um, and most recently, the most recent thing I know that he did was the, the Amy Schumer comedy, I Feel Pretty. The movie was written by Ryan Rowe and Ed Solomon and John August. Um, Now, only these three were credited, but there were countless uncredited writers and loads of rewrites on this movie. So it was produced by Flower Films, which is owned by Drew Barrymore and her business partner, Nancy Javonen. Uh, Flower Films was founded in 1995. They also produced uh, Never Been Kissed, Uh, They did Donnie Darko, Fifty First Dates, Music and Lyrics. And most recently, they will be doing the 2019 continuation of Charlie's Angels, the brand new movie that's due out at the end of the year that's directed by Elizabeth Banks. So the road to getting Charlie's Angels to the silver screen was long and convoluted. Um, The stories from the production aren't pretty, um, and involve purported physical altercations and arguments on set. The script was rewritten 
multiple times by countless screenwriters. And all three actresses spent months training in martial arts and they were doing eight hours a day every day. Um, and they were trained by a Chinese martial arts expert, uh, Chung Yan Yuan, who they dubbed the master. Um, now, it's important to note they didn't do all of their own stunts, but they needed to be physically able to perform to a high standard. Um, watching this movie, it's very apparent that they have a very high level of physical fitness. And just sort of from a personal point of view, I trained as a kickboxer for years to red belt standard. Um, so I've got a fair idea of the physicality required for the high kicks and jump kicks um, and and just how much kind of core strength you need to have to not only kind of perform these kind of kicks, but also to make them look fairly realistic and to make them look good. Because like most things, the better it looks, the more skill is actually required. It It's kind of like, you know, if it looks easy, it's definitely not easy. And this film gets quite a lot of ridicule and I think it did back in the day for its use of wire foo um however I also as part of this episode watched the sequel and if you compare the this movie and the the wire foo to the sequel this movie has so much more kind of proper physical martial arts the wire foo in the in the sequel is so much more prevalent and kind of a little bit off-putting really the the actual phrase wire foo kind of came into the western mainstream the year prior in the matrix um which i mentioned is going to be coming up shortly um but but wire foo as it stands is still really physically demanding because you have to be suspended by wire harnesses and you've also got to have that really necessary core strength to stay in a position for long periods of time um now i'm not a martial arts expert you know i'm not a black belt but i do know what goes into the training of the martial arts that i did um, and I know it's not easy and I know it takes so much out of you. So honestly, from my point of view, I look at this movie and I'm just, I just have so much respect for these women because they clearly trained really hard and they make it look really good. Um, you know, and it's just, just little things like the angle that they can actually kick is, it it takes months and months to to sort of train your body. And I know that, you know, Cameron Diaz, for example, was a trained dancer. So she obviously does have that ability already. She has a very flexible body. Um, but it takes a lot to to actually do this sort of um, martial arts. So I just have utmost respect for them uh, because they make it look really good. Some of it does look a little far-fetched, especially where the wires are concerned. There's one scene in particular where it's very clear that a wire is kind of pulling their legs up um, to kind of give them this kind of kick stance, um, which just looks completely ridiculous. But again, personally, the wire foo is something the sequel suffers from way more. Um, I mentioned arguments and the physical altercations. Um, interestingly, both seem to come from Bill Murray. Um, and Bill Murray is a man who I think movie lovers everywhere he has a lot of respect from that community, you know, both as a comedian and a general all-round actor and performer. But he and McGee, the director, did not get on at all. Um, McGee actually claimed afterwards in that he had a discussion with Bill Murray and it ended with Bill Murray headbutting him, um, something that Murray has always denied. But it's quite clear that neither have a particular amount of love for each other. Um, and in addition, it's also claimed that Bill Murray and Lucy Liu 
didn't get on. There are some sources that claim that he insulted her acting ability. And so she retorted and called him some names. Um, She's kind of always downplayed that um, in other interviews. And she's kind of always sort of remained quite professional about that. But, you know, let's be honest, I doubt she sends him Christmas cards. Um, They clearly did not get on either. Um, You'll notice that in the sequel, Bill Murray's Bosley is not in it. Um, He's replaced by Bernie Mac. And also the whereabouts of his Bosley are not mentioned um, at all. So, yeah, it was obvious that for the sequel, Bill Murray was not going to be returning. I want to talk a little bit about Drew Barrymore uh, because Drew Barrymore is someone who I personally find incredibly inspiring, not just as an actress and producer, but also as a person. Um, And for those unaware, I mean, there may be people who are unaware of, of Drew Barrymore's story and her history. So the Barrymore name has been associated to Hollywood for generations. Her grandfather was John Barrymore, He was a very well-received silent movie actor and probably one of the most influential of his day. Um, Her father, John Drew Barrymore, her great-aunt Ethel Barrymore and her great-uncle Lionel Barrymore were all had careers in Hollywood. Her godfather is none other than Steven Spielberg. So this is a young child who's essentially groomed for stardom, pretty much. She's born into this amazingly famous family Um, and in fact when she was 11 months old she starred in her first commercial and when she was five she starred in one of the biggest movies of all time uh, as Gertie in E.T. the extraterrestrial and this sudden jump into superstardom was particularly hard for the young Drew and she started partying at a very young age she was spotted in famous nightclubs she started taking drugs And she ended up in rehab when she was just 13 years old. Um, She attempted suicide when she was 14 and ended up back in rehab. Um, She ended up becoming legally emancipated from her parents when she was 15. And usually the law of drink and drugs, when we're talking about young Hollywood starlets, that usually ends in tragedy. Um, um, It's something that we've seen many times when young, vulnerable actors are lured into situations that get out of control. Um, It's usually labelled too much too young. Um, And it would have been so easy for the young Drew Barrymore to be one such statistic of this young Hollywood starlet who had it all, um, lured by the call of drink and drugs, and something terrible happened. um, Because... So often that's what does happen. Um, And the wonderful thing about Drew Barrymore is she turned her life around. Um, She got clean. She started getting acting roles and she started to get people talking again, not for her personal life, although she did have a very tumultuous personal life when she was a young woman, um, but more so for her role choices and her general kind of great performances. So in 1995, she starred in a movie called Boys on the Side, which was praised by critics. It was in the same year that she set up Flower Films with Nancy Giovonan. And in 1999, they produced their first movie, which was Never Been Kissed, um, which was a massive commercial success. Not so much a critical success, 
But Barrymore specifically was praised for her comic timing in that movie. And it is a sweet movie. It's not one of my favourites, but I appreciate it for its general sweetness. In producing Charlie's Angels, um, Drew Barrymore had the necessary clout with the studio to choose who she wanted to star and direct. And she had a vision of the movie from the start because as soon as she found out that Sony were doing a Charlie's Angels movie, she wanted to be on board. She wanted Flower Films to produce it. So she ended up uh, meeting with Sony um, with this vision, uh, which was influenced from movies like Foul Play, Enter the Dragon and Used Cars, starring Kurt Russell. And that was the inspiration for Cameron Diaz's musical number specifically. So she and Nancy pitched the entire vision to Sony in order to get the production. And Sony agreed. And Drew has since described it as the most fun thing in the world to pitch. Um, Drew, for example, was the one who insisted the angels didn't use guns. Um, You'll notice in the movies that the bad guys do, but the angels don't. Um, because she instead wanted to focus on their fighting ability and teamwork in a sense that guns are the easy way out. It's very easy to just pick up a gun and shoot someone, but it's not so easy to work as a team and to use martial arts or anything else that's kind of lying around to uh, to fight the bad guys. She also successfully persuaded Cameron Diaz to do the movie and they remain good friends to this day, which is nice. Um, because Cameron Diaz was arguably the biggest star of the three at the time. She'd had her big break in The Mask in 1994 and had gone on to star in My Best Friend's Wedding in 1997, which is a great, fun movie. I love it. Um, and then as the titular Mary in There's Something About Mary in 1998, which really kind of thrust her into the big time. Um, it also gave her a Golden Globe nomination. So in 1999, she kind of veered off into more serious roles. So she was in the um, American football drama Any Given Sunday and also received a Golden Globe nomination for being John Malkovich. So at this point, she was kind of teetering towards kind of serious roles and comedic roles. And she was persuaded by Drew Barrymore to take on the role of the very cheery, very sweet, but very innuendo-filled Natalie. She actually got the biggest salary for this movie, but I'm going to come back to salaries a bit later. Lucy Liu's casting took longer uh, because originally Drew Barrymore wanted Angelina Jolie for the role of Alex. Angelina turned it down because she said she didn't want the exposure of a really high profile film and she didn't want to be typecast as the tough girl. Um, Three years later, she'd be starring as Lara Croft in the Tomb Raider movie. Lucy Liu at the time was starring in Ali McBeal, which was a very surreal American sort of lawyer TV drama. It was very famous for having a CGI dancing baby. Um, And at the time, I remember the dancing baby was such a big thing. Everyone always talked about this dancing baby. But anyway, Lucy Liu was in Ali McBeal. um, And although uh, Drew Barrymore met with other actresses for the part they always kind of always came back to Lucy Liu um, and they were willing to work around her Alan McBeal schedule because they knew that she was the perfect fit. Alex being the technical brain behind the angels and possibly also the most fearless of the three. McGee's motto for this movie was bigger and faster. Um, As a music video director with no experience making a movie, he seemed on paper to be the least qualified for the job 
Um, he met with Drew Barrymore and Nancy Javonen and they were convinced he was perfect, but they needed to convince Sony, who obviously were less than enamoured by this complete unknown music director leading this very expensive movie. Um, so they arranged a meeting and McGee came in and he performed the whole movie as he saw it shot for shot. Um, and the room was captivated and he got the job. The cast was rounded out with some absolutely phenomenal names. So obviously you've got Crispin Glover, Sam Rockwell, Kelly Lynch, Tim Curry, Matt LeBlanc, Luke Wilson. And I'm still not sure what the hell Tom Green was doing, but he was in it and he was dating Drew Barrymore at the time. So um, there's also quite a lot on the internet about he was actually suffering from cancer at the time of filming. So Drew Barrymore spent a lot of time with him at the hospital. They ended up getting together. She actually ended up marrying him, um, but the marriage didn't last very long. I'm still not sure what he was doing in that movie. I'm a little bit bewildered about Tom Green still. I'm still not sure. Um, anyway, I mentioned earlier about salaries. So women getting paid less than men is something that's not only been going on in Hollywood, it's been going on worldwide for a long, long time. Um, and in this movie, there is a massive pay disparity. And it's not between women and men, it's between the women. So Cameron Diaz received the biggest paycheck. She ended up getting $12 million for the role of Natalie. And Drew ended up getting $9 million. But Drew Barrymore was also the producer, so ended up with a slice of the profits. So it's claimed that Drew Barrymore ended up making about $40 million. Now, Lucy Liu, in comparison to Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore, was paid $1 million. I'm just going to let that sit with you. $1 million. For the sequel, which again, I'm not really going to go into uh, very much, but just for comparison reasons. So for the sequel, Diaz got $20 million. Barry Moore got $14 million and obviously was a producer, so ended up with a lot more. And Lucy Liu was given $4 million. I mean, you could argue that Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore are bigger names. But if you look at the movie, Lucy Liu put in the same amount of work. And it seems quite shameful looking back that Lucy Liu's agent didn't negotiate more for her. Especially considering if Angelina Jolie had got the part, it would have cost them considerably more than $1 million. And knowing that puts a little bit of a stain on the movie for me, because equal pay should mean equal pay, especially for equal roles uh, and equal screen time. And don't quote me, I haven't checked specifics, but I'm pretty certain that each angel has about the same screen time overall. So... Yeah, it's something that still doesn't sit well with me because although each angel is individual and unique, I have to give credit to Lucy Liu because at this point in her career, she was most well known for playing Ling Wu on Annie McBeal. And it would have been very easy for the filmmakers to just make Alex the fierce, cold, sort of strict, stereotypical Asian woman. Um... And admittedly, there is a funny scene where Alex is kind of dressed in a tight leather skirt suit. She's demanding to know information from a room full of technicians and she kind of snaps her stick on the table and sort of barks out orders to them um, in a very kind of cold, strict way. But 
Lucy Liu is also given a chance to show off her comedic side. And also, she has the best goddamn slow motion hair flip that's ever been recorded on film. I guarantee it. She is, as she as Alex is technical, she's smart, but she's also allowed to compliment and be complimented by her fellow angels. And that's no mean feat when your co-stars are Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore. So I feel like Lucy Liu does not get enough recognition for her part in this movie. She clearly didn't get enough money for her part in this movie. And I think as a as a general rule, people remember, you know, lusting after Cameron Diaz or or finding Drew Barrymore particularly hilarious. But they don't really talk about Lucy Liu. And I want people to talk about Lucy Liu because she is brilliant in this movie. She's a complete highlight. And I hope that, if anything, if you have the opportunity to rewatch this movie, that you'll rewatch it and maybe kind of think more about what Lucy Liu actually puts into this movie. Because I love her. She's brilliant. She's, she's probably my favourite angel. The original series on which this movie is, by the way, emphatically a continuation of. It's not a remake. It's not a reboot. It's a continuation of this this franchise of Charlie's Angels, which started with the TV show. It's kind of uh, in the middle. You've got these movies. And then it's bookended by this 2019 movie that's coming out. They're all part of the same universe. So the original series, you had three stunning women fighting crime whilst always looking stunning. Um, and admittedly I have watched a couple of episodes of the original Charlie's Angels I'm not a massive fan I don't know a great deal about it but I do know they were all they were three gorgeous women and they always look gorgeous Um, and whilst this movie is directed and written by men the personality and attitude of Drew Barrymore just runs through the veins of this movie and I kind of feel like without Drew Barrymore's influence as a producer This movie would have probably just been three gorgeous women looking gorgeous while doing things gorgeously. And that's not to say these actresses aren't gorgeous because they are. But they also have these fully rounded characters of, you know, they are clumsy. You know, they are naive. Sometimes they're a little ditzy. They make mistakes. Dylan trusts Knox when we then realise that Knox has been the bad guy all along. On the other hand, they're also supremely intelligent because Natalie, as soon as she meets Vivian Wood, calls her out as probably being the bad guy. And it turns out that she was. So they're intelligent, they're resourceful, they're strong, funny and resilient. The movie embraces the campy nature of the TV show. Um, The if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality really works. The action scenes work quite happily with the comedy scenes. And not everything has to be kind of a dark, gritty update. You know, this movie is really bright and really colourful and each actress really plays to her strengths, even when, and almost especially when, the strength is their attractiveness. Um, You know, they're capable, but feminine. And these qualities don't need to be mutually exclusive. They are a team. You know, there's not one leader. Obviously, they all listen to Charlie and they all do what Charlie says. But... They don't have a leader among them. They are a team. They listen to each other. They discuss the best course of action. They might not agree with each other, but the focus of the movie is on these three women. It's not on one woman in particular. It's on all three. I'm going to talk about the male gaze because I'm going to have to talk about the male gaze. So if you don't know what the male gaze is, it's basically when the camera lingers a little too long on a woman's breasts or or bum or a specific shot is 
focused on a, a particular area. Um, it's something Michael Bay knows a lot about. Um, so watch one of his movies, uh, like Transformers, and you'll get what I mean. Um, and this movie has the male gaze in spades. So you've got, for example, there's a scene where the three actresses are emerging from the water in wetsuits. And Cameron Diaz zips down her wetsuit, specifically walking towards the camera. She kind of zips it down her chest, sort of to her navel. And it's a completely not subtle tease to the audience. Nor is any other attempt by McGee to concentrate the camera on either of these women. Because they all get the treatment, not just Cameron Diaz. And honestly, the movie just about gets away with it. I kind of feel at this point, if Drew Barrymore didn't want these scenes in her movie, they wouldn't be in there. I think she's smart enough to know that the movie had to work for both women and men. And personally, I kind of feel like it does. I can't speak for men because I'm not one. But as a woman, it works. And if I was thinking like a man, then I think it would work if I was a man. Um, And the way I, I know that doesn't make any sense, but as a man, you would want to be with these women, literally any one of them you would want to be with. And as a woman, literally any one you would want to be. So I think she kind of knows that sometimes you have to kind of titillate your audience a little bit um, in order to make a mass appeal to, to sort of both sexes. Drew Barrymore is actually quoted as saying... My biggest hope for this film is that people will feel like they could be an angel. All it takes is belief in yourself and the willingness to go the distance in whatever it is that you want to do. But wait, this is a female-led action movie. I didn't think those made money. But they do. (laughs) I mention this because for a long time we've been waiting for a Black Widow movie. Uh, It's currently being filmed, it's due to come out... I believe, next May, May 2020. The reason why we've been waiting so long for Black Widow and pretty much for most female-led superhero movies is this sort of weird belief that female-led action movies don't sell and people don't want to see them. And it's something that has been sort of contradicted. Literally every single time a new movie comes out with a woman in the lead, it makes a load of money. But... Charlie's Angels came out 19 years ago and it did phenomenally well. The movie's not rocket science and it never claims to be. It appeals to a mass audience. And this was before you had the likes of Resident Evil, Tomb Raider, as I mentioned with Angelina Jolie before, Kill Bill, Underworld, uh, The Hunger Games. um, And then, yeah, like Elektra and Catwoman didn't do brilliantly, but it's because they were duff films. It's nothing to do with the women who who were the lead actresses at all. The main problem this movie has, I think, is it's largely forgettable. The action itself feels a little bit dated. Most people want realistic fight scenes nowadays. They want long takes that are meticulously choreographed, uh, whereas McGee's style of sort of multiple cuts through fight scenes probably doesn't really work for a modern audience. And people don't want waifu. Uh, Waifu is seen as dated nowadays if you're going to do a fight scene that looks maybe a little bit unrealistic you might choose to do it in CGI. Now I am always a big advocate for practical effects over CGI effects but where you've got 
very unrealistic fight scenes such as the likes that are used uh, with Waifu, it's almost like a, an uncanny valley effect for me is it looks so unrealistic that you realise it could never happen in real life because gravity doesn't work like that. Um, and it doesn't make sense if you think of it logically and scientifically. In many ways, a CG fight actually kind of works a little bit better uh, when you're talking about practical fight scenes when they're quite elaborate versus sort of CG. But I will always kind of go back to, if it is a practical fight scene that is realistic and it's logical and it's not two superheroes sort of going off against each other that a practical fight scene will 100% always be better than a CGI fight scene. Also I'm going to mention the moonwalk because we want a proper moonwalk. Do you hear me Drew? I've been trying to find out why Drew Barrymore doesn't do a proper moonwalk. There's a scene where she is basically fighting against, I think, six goons. She has her hands tied behind her back and she basically says, I'm going to kick all your asses with my hands tied behind my back and then I'm going to moonwalk out of the room. And so she kicks all of her asses with her hands tied behind her back and then she just kind of backwards struts out of the room. <laughs> and it actually, it's not a moonwalk. It's, it literally just doesn't look anything like a moonwalk. So I tried to find out why. Um, and I think it was literally Drew Barrymore's attempt and it was left in for comedy value because it is quite funny, um, but it's not a moonwalk. I want to briefly mention the soundtrack because Independent Women Part 1 is the song of the generation. And the soundtrack as a whole is awesome. You've got Blur, The Prodigy, Fatboy Slim. I mean, this is like 1999 slash 2000s jam, literally. It's the music that was like in all of the parties that were going on at the time so it does age the movie a little because it's that kind of era but for me it's just a wonderful soundtrack because it brings back so many fantastic memories of that time in my life charlie's angels full throttle which i have mentioned a couple of times came out in 2003 as i said it has way more waifu it's basically more explosions more fights um a very well-publicised return to the movies from Demi Moore as Fallen Angel Madison Lee, but it's got less plot. It's not as tongue-in-cheek as the first movie. And weirdly, the thin man is retconned as a good guy um, slash love interest for Dylan, and then he dies, which I always still find one of the most bizarre things about that movie. Well, out of its many, many bizarre things. It's not as much fun as this one. If I were to recommend one Charlie's Angels movie, I wouldn't recommend Full Throttle. I'd always recommend this one because it's a lot more fun. There was also a short-lived TV show in 2011, which was executively produced by Drew Barrymore. It starred Minka Kelly, Rachel Taylor and Anne-Li Ilonze. Um, and it was actually cancelled after four episodes. All eight episodes were aired um, eventually. But yeah, so the fact it was cancelled after four probably means it's not all that brilliant and this year we have a new movie which as i mentioned is a continuation of the charlie's angels timeline it stars naomi scott Kristen stewart ella belinska and elizabeth banks also directed by elizabeth banks produced by flower films uh, the trailer suggests it's a little bit more serious overall but it's got like comedic undertones so i don't think it's going to be as campy but as Drew Barrymore is producing, I'm thinking we might see a cameo here or there, maybe from her, maybe from some of the other angels. 
Um, speaking of angels, Lucy Liu um, was recently awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And there with her, supporting her as she was gaining her star, were Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz. So the fact that these women are still friends after almost 20 years feels really nice because it feels like the camaraderie that they had on screen translated off screen. Um, it looks like this movie was mega fun to make. And ultimately, it's all about women supporting women. And that's something that we should have more of in the world, as well as in the movies we watch. So I had a few social media thoughts on Charlie's Angels. Not as many as I thought, considering it won this poll. So on Twitter, first up, we have a friend of the show, Sade from Offscreen Babble. And she said... Charlie's Angels was one of the first times I saw women kick butt and look cool doing it. As a child, it made me excited to think that I could grow up and be just as cool. Combined with Destiny's Child Independent Women's Song, my 11-year-old self felt pumped. Each actress gives amazing performances and distinct personalities to their characters, and the music video style of editing from McGee may be a lot to take, but adds a fun and cheesy layer to the film. Completely agree, Sade. Uh, at Toys Were Us Pod, said, I only want to send in a snippet of me talking about the fact it shows two boys playing Final Fantasy VIII, a one-player game. Yeah, it does. Um, I failed to mention that completely. Yeah, uh, she's naked and she ends up... Uh, actually, it's actually the old E.T. house because it was filmed uh, at the same house that E.T. was filmed. And the two boys in their living room playing Final Fantasy VIII, which they've got two controllers, but it's actually a one-player game. So completely ridiculous. Um, at False Starts Pod said I've got a soft spot for it it's a stupid and bad movie I know but it's fun the worst part about it is Drew Barrymore's Moonwalk uh, yeah it is uh, it was False Starts Pod who actually asked me did I know why it wasn't a moonwalk and uh, obviously I don't as I said it's probably just the actress um, doing it for fun and at Snark House of said I loved it it was super fun a shame Marie and Lucy had a row and he wasn't in the sequel. Also, Crispin Glover, drool. I mm, wouldn't say I would drool over Crispin Glover. If there was anyone in that movie, I'd probably drool over it. It would probably be Sam Rockwell um, because he has this amazing scene where he does a little dance and it's brilliant. Uh, he's a great dancer. Over on Instagram, I had a comment from Matt from Red Band Reviewers. So he says, I was born in 89, so it was maybe 11 or 12 when this came out. My main memory is Lucy Lou was the first time on the big screen I knew a girl could beat me up. I'd seen it with Buffy on the small screen, but this might be the first film to show me that. As derogatory as it may be at times, it also took a big step forward in an era where pretty much all media showed me as a young lad that I was born to be the protector. Which is actually a really interesting point, because I think a lot of young boys are conditioned from a lot of mass media that they have to be the protectors they have to look after the women whereas in this movie it's mainly the women who are actually looking after the men because it's the angels that look after eric knox it's the angels that end up rescuing bosley and so i think that's a really valid point actually there matt and chloe on facebook said i feel like i owe drew barrymore in both of the charlie's angels films a fair bit of credit for being a big part of my gay awakening as i grew up now there's a particular gif that i use a lot on twitter and it's from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And it's basically from a scene where they say, ooh, I hear you, girl. Um, it's my favourite. And 
I use it a lot and it applies to the situation because Drew Barrymore in that zip down to her naval race suit is oh my god she looks phenomenal and honestly I'd imagine any angel could form part of anyone's gay awakening that's why they're angels thank you for listening Um, as always I'd love to hear your thoughts on Charlie's Angels my next episode will be out in two weeks and we will be bringing you the mummy Uh, me and my special guest Jason from Wulong Talks Let's hope the curse on this episode can be lifted and we can bring that to you because I know we're both very excited to talk about that movie. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992-2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl and X-Men Dark Phoenix. And... By the way, I realise that I mention all of those every single time and it's only ever going to get longer. Um, I'm going to try and keep mentioning all of them because I think all of the episodes that I've done are really still relevant. Um, But maybe when I get to 100 episodes, I probably won't do that anymore. Um, But they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions at verbaldiorama at gmail.com. Obviously, The Matrix was a movie suggestion and I am always quite happy to take suggestions. I can't always guarantee that I will be able to do all suggestions, but send them to me anyway. Um, If you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes. I'd really appreciate that. I know that any podcast that you listen to will really appreciate that. So if you enjoy listening to a podcast, please take two minutes out of your day and give them a rate and review on iTunes uh, because it really does make people's day. If you want to buy me a coffee, because I do run on coffee, I've got a coffee in front of me. It's probably gone cold by now. You can donate me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash verbal diorama. Thank you for listening to this episode on Charlie's Angels. I'm still waiting for Charlie to call me back about me becoming an angel. Um, any any day now. Uh, just, uh, has my phone got signal? Yeah. Um, yeah, still waiting. Any day, just whenever. You know, whenever, whenever you've got time. That'd be, um, that'd be cool. Hello? Hello, Charlie? No, I don't have PPI. Movie should know. Movie should know.